I'm sorry that I missed your party. I wish I had a better excuse, but I can't even lie, you got me. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. I was busy dreaming about boys, boys, boys. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. Let's get ready to rumble. Welcome to Aya versus. The big boys. Tonight's fight, Aya versus Dry. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Hello and welcome. My name is Kevin Cookman, resident big boy and ringleader for the matchup of the century. You are listening to Merry Go Round Magazine's first ever Patreon exclusive podcast mini series. As you very much know by now, we are still stuck in a quarantine amidst a, yep, global pandemic. And we're all working from home. And so the side effect of that, well, we have a lot more free time to catch up on media of all shapes and all sizes. We all have movies we know we should have seen by now, but just haven't. Call it the canon, call it the IMDb Top 250, or call them the big boys, the pinnacles of cinema, maybe the most explicitly patriarchal artistic medium of all time. Without any further ado, in today's episode, and every episode, I'm joined by the titular, you fucking yeah! ingrate fuck. <laughs> Prize fighter herself, Aya Lehman. It's pronounced titular, but you want titular. So there you go. I drive. I'm so upset. It's titular. Uh, it is tight. Title is the word. And so titular is obviously the, uh, the derivative. I'm going to run an, tight, inst- I'm tight, run an, tight, an tight, Instagram tight. story poll on this. How, how do you go from title to tit? How do you do that? <laughs> It's There's a lot of words that aren't the same. <laughs> yeah, wow. What a revelation. <laughs> I, uh, how are you doing? You seem to be deteriorating during this global pandemic. How are you holding up, bud? I watched The Notebook today. I'm very tired. <laughs> you didn't even like it, did you, though? No. Uh, no, sir, I did not. Okay, well, it still got you. I mean, still got you good. <laughs> it's so sad. Have you seen it? That have it you is. seen the Have you seen the film? I have. Uh, it's. I forgot most of it. I I think I kind so of dropped she? off. R- r- <laughs> uh, I, I think I dropped off right around when Gosling jumps onto the Ferris wheel and like peer pressures her. That's literally like the second date. scene, and I one hundred percent agree. It lost me immediately there. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems to be uh, that a lot of men who write stories of love. Uh, really think that pressuring a woman into a place of submission and acceptance, that is the way to get them in your heart and their so heart charming. forever. Oh, God. I love it. I love it. Oh, and weirdly enough, that theme will be brought up quite a bit tonight. It was like amazing <laughs> segue. <laughs> Our very own look at 2011's Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and starring America's Sweetheart, Ryan Gosling. Truly. Oh, truly a handsome man. I, you have never seen Drive. Where were you in 2011? What were you, do, what were you up to, buddy? What were you doing? <laughs> Why didn't you see this movie? Everyone was talking about this movie, Aya. When did it come out in 2011? 
uh, I think this was a summer release because if I recall correctly, there was a pretty notorious lawsuit at the time because there was a woman who claimed that the trailers were selling a Fast and Furious movie, uh, which, to be fair, they were definitely selling a movie that was not this. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she, yeah, she sued uh, for, uh, what is it? just false advertising. Wow. And I don't know what happened to that because that's a joke lawsuit. That's fascinating. (laughs) I know that was kind of getting airwaves. In addition to also kind of the moment this thing dropped in 2011, it was like seismic. Like you could feel the impact immediately in, in both how people were going to steal from this and how people were already calling it. Oh, this is the best. It was the best 2011. This is like one of the best films ever made. Uh, we're in this. We love this. I remember so it well. I, where were you? Summer 2011. I was prepping to um, start my senior year of high school. That's very upsetting to think about. Um, my beloved Rachel Wood saw it in theaters, I think, or so. I don't remember. I remember her seeing it though. And like, we were movie buddies and we would report back to each other on things that we saw. And she, I texted her last night and was like, I don't even remember if you liked this movie. And she said, I don't remember either. I just remember loving the jacket and Carrie Mulligan. And you know what? (laughs) Same. (laughs) Um, but we would walk around a lot and just look at each other and say, I drive, uh, all the time. All the time. And he does say it in the movie, which was actually like, honestly, for me, like I felt satisfied once I knew that he actually said the phrase, I drive in the movie. I think we, I think she saw it like right before we went to Comic-Con and we saw a bunch of people in their drive jackets. It was legitimately cool to have that jacket for, I think, two summers. Uh, and then I remember, I think spring of 2017 i was walking around dodge college no going to a class and there was a guy in like blue jeans flip-flops and the drive jacket just walking around oh. and i thought he was gonna shoot up the school <laughs> like it it is incredible how in just like six years that jacket turned from oh everyone should wear this because it's a funny like uh reference like oh we're in this club to stop get away in, in, in a way, it's almost like someone saying that they liked Fight Club. <laughs> it's that a white man saying he likes Drive. You're just like, whoa, dude, it's fine. It's cool. Be chill right yeah, now. I wasn't saying anything bad about it, man. I just, <laughs> we're all chill here, dude. To wear flip-flops uh, to with fair, a Drive jacket is like maybe the most upsetting uh, uh, visual I've, I've pictured in all of my time in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to Drive, though. Uh, I feel like we are literally doing a podcast that is just movies that you would be afraid if someone said it was their favorite. Kevin, that's the conceit of this podcast. Kevin. Exactly. We're (laughs) dispelling the myth. Boy movies don't exist. Fuck it. Fuck them. Shocked. (laughs) It's a myth meant to gate off these films. I'm I'm not having it anymore. dick flicks. God, I... I mean, I think it was for me a tie between this and Joker for movies that I was least excited to have to spend my dying hours in quarantine (laughs) to watch again. Uh, There's just something so vacuous about both of those films. And I can't believe that we still have Joker to come Uh, that I was, I was definitely not stoked for this episode, but I am very excited to hear about what you thought about it 
so far removed from the like the cultural boom of drive. I think drive still is like a silent cool, you know? Like people haven't turned on it, which I don't think people ever will. Maybe they won't, you know, we can talk about that. Uh, but Aya, so you watched Drive in a vacuum. I did. What do you think? Um, I think it's interesting that you say that people haven't yet turned on Drive because I don't think there's much to turn on because this movie is very empty. Um, and I almost would prefer it if it was like so full of heart slash like even just like offensive material that you could look at it and be like, oh, we should we shouldn't watch this, you know, because it's just like it's hollow. Um, yeah, I I I get the the interesting thing about this movie for me was that I get the hype. I wish, cause I was sitting there being like, Oh my gosh, I wish I was in a movie theater right now. I wish I was seeing this on a huge screen. Like I, it, I could tell that so much of the effect was lost on me, even though I still was like, Whoa, that was a crazy, you know, chase scene. Um, other than that, it's, it's such an it's it felt so empty by the end to me that I was just kind of like, cool, you know, like I, I feel like I always some of my movies when I watch a movie, I want to put a read receipt on a movie just to be <laughs> I wish I could tap back with a thumbs up or just like pop a scene on it because I'm like, oh, I, I watched it. I don't have any response. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. Drive on its own without having to talk about every one of your, like, talk to every one of your friends of like, oh, have you seen this thing? Oh, no, it's totally not what the trailers make it look like. It's like this weird retro wave. A lot of what made Drive so novel is kind of depleted now because you really don't Mm. have Stranger Things or really any of our new sort of genre homages without Drive first, like, beating down the door because... I think before this, if you were to do sort of an homage to something that came out decades prior, I think you're doing a Shaun of the Dead, where the title itself, like it has to, like, you need to make it obvious, what are you spoofing? It's spoof. I think Drive kind of killed the spoof in a big way. Because after Drive, you basically get the feeling of a genre uh, being sort of revived into a new property where it doesn't really matter what the content in the present moment is. It's all about giving you that feeling of, like, nostalgia ultra. And that's sort of, I think, what silently people really liked about Drive while hailing it as, like, this, oh, this, this you know, maverick of, of style and, and whatever the fuck people <laughs> said about Drive. Because people said everything about Drive. I was really underwhelmed in 2011. And I think now, watching it, Maybe I'd say maybe like the fourth time because Drive is a movie that you want to get. Like it, it's cool. Like it is kind of really fun. Like it is very difficult to deny the fetishistic pleasures of Drive. And I think what you were talking about is that yeah, those first thirteen minutes are incredible. Yeah, like the first thir- the yeah. beginning of that movie is so fun. I was really into it, honestly. Like. I was watching it and I was like, I'm so annoyed that I'm going to like this movie. Um, I don't feel that way about most movies. I don't want to feel annoyed that I like something, but I was a little annoyed that I was really enjoying Drive. But then it just lost me. I think it was, and I know it sounds kind of dumb because I 
have a big crush on Oscar Isaac, but like it, it loses me the second he dies. Like the second spoiler alert, if you haven't seen drive, um, the second that he dies and it becomes about, about the heist and less about like the, the world they've built thus far. I, I was gone. I was totally out. I didn't care anymore because I don't know, maybe I just don't like movies like that. I mean, I love freaking baby driver, but that one took me, and Baby Driver is basically this movie because it is uh, stole so much I mean, from this movie. Baby Driver it's stole insane. from the Baby Driver and Drive both stole from the driver. And it's like Yeah, and like the stunt man and like so many other things. But I think it is it, it is glaring the exact one-to-ones from like the waitress love interest in a yeah. diner. Uh, there's a lot in Drive that Baby Driver goes, Oh no, we were taking from the 70s. Wink wink. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, Baby Driver, as much as I enjoy it, I, it's just not my genre. Like, this isn't a genre for me of like... How would you, how, how would you define this I don't know. I'm trying to place it. I guess, I guess genre is the wrong word. That's a little too broad. I don't like, like... Oh my God. I hate... I love a heist film. I don't like the, the like aftermath of like the crime, like, you know, chase movie thing. I think that that's what... Oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think that that's a beautiful thing about Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Fuck them up. Fuck them up. Say it. Is that <laughs> Fast that and Furious? Shit. Like you think about like Fast Five, which is an impeccable film. And you think, and like that movie is so heist driven and the, it involves the drivers in a really creative way. And I'm just not interested in like the getaway chase. You know, I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in the development of the heist. Like the getaway driver for me, I mean, like, it, they made these movies because they were like, well, what happens after the heist? You know, like, what about what happens when the, when the driver gets involved? And I'm like, I don't care. It's not interesting. <laughs> like, I, I don't. And I don't I don't like crime movies. Like, I don't like the, these things don't interest me, which is crazy because we just watched Goodfellas and I loved that. But it's like so different, you know. Help me. <laughs> I, think what, what, I think what would help is that if, if, we're, look, if we're going from Goodfellas to this which I think there are a number of really fascinating connections to make with just the, the, the general trajectory that we're going in. Um, but it seems to me it, it kind of has to do with your comment of why you were kind of annoyed that you were liking the film. Because Drive is so simple and stripped down and to a point hollow. And I think it's because you can essentially see the gears moving it's like watching like a, a like a, a a pc with like transparent walls like you're watching everything spin and move in a way that you're not really adjusted to watching in films because normally the cover of the pc and like making sure you don't see the gears that's called making like a good movie like you never want to see the functions functioning and so drive is a movie that is like fetishistically looking at how the gears of motion and like bare bones crime plot goes just so it can be a quote unquote statement on this genre that we are kind of identifying right now. And because it is so bare bones, it doesn't align whatsoever with this type of movie where if we, the whole purpose of doing a getaway movie where you then see the aftermath of a heist is to then turn into a character piece where you figure out the like the weight of guilt yes. or something yes. something at 
all about these characters, but Drive is so pointedly about caricatures and symbols and women as angels and men as knights. Like, that is all Drive is about. So when you have the big heist midway and then the movie just completely slows down so it could be about the repercussions of that and doesn't give you any character to play with, then, yeah, it's just moving from one pretty wallpaper shot to the next. Uh, And the movie slows down so fucking hard because for those first 13 minutes, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it could be its own short film. I wish it was its own short film. I absolutely wish it was a short film. (laughs) I wish that like the when like Kavinsky comes in and we're looking at like the skyline of Los Angeles of downtown LA, uh, and we just see Ryan Gosling with a shot down looking up at him like I'm giving him roadhead or something. Like I just <laughs> want that montage and then done. I'm I'm out. I never have to see anything more by Refin. Refin is more and more getting full of himself where he was already quite full of himself in 2011 where he did that Amazon series. Um, to something to die with Miles Teller. Uh, Whoa. I, I did not care to pay any attention to it because I've kind of dropped off the ref and train completely. I have no idea uh, what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a 10-hour movie that's broken up into episodes. Oh, no. And some of the, ep- like, the whole point of it is that essentially, like, like gritty, uh, low-taste, slow cinema. Like, there are full episodes where just nothing happens. Why, but dude, that is why? the point. You don't have to watch the episodes in order. You can watch episode three, four, and six, and then go to one. Like it's just uh, pompous shit, really. Did he do Neon but Demon? No, I, what was that? Did he do the Neon Demon? Uh, yes, yes, he, he did. did do the Neon mm-hmm. Demon. He did the Neon Demon. He did Only God Forgives. Uh, oh, the Pusher trilogy before this, and Valhalla Rising with Mads Mikkelsen right before this. Huh. I don't know, like, I don't remember Valhalla Rising being uh, enough of a hit to give him this type of, like, blank check type of deal. Yeah. You know what I yes. mean? Like, dri- Drive feels like a real, like, oh, you've rise, you rose in the ranks, you earned your position here, make whatever you want. I do not know how, I know they made this for very cheap, and they made it in, like, a, like I think, 24 days or something they had a you very can tell short schedule that you can see that on the screen i think my biggest question about this movie is the cast like in terms of you know the money and like the and his stature like where did this cast come from like why is fucking oscar isaac like i mean he wasn't huge at the time yet but like why no, is ryan gosting in this because christina Hendricks? i guess i guess i'm kind of having a hard time placing 2011 in terms of like I didn't exist in 2011. Do you know what I mean? Like that era is a lost era for me because I didn't really exist as a person yet. And so I'm kind of struggling to place all these, like to me now, to us now, all of these people are names and it's crazy that they're in this movie together. But at the time, I guess it, it wasn't um, that yeah. crazy. I mean, if we want to, if, if we want to step back, uh, Gosling, this is basically a big comeback right. for him. Uh, Notebook is 2004 and that is kind of crazy big. But even in 2011, that's people are going, oh, wait, that was the guy from The Notebook? Like, that's sort of the response to seeing Gosling in this film. Because I think previously he was in this Kirsten Dunst Actually, I uh, think this like was kind of like movie. his big pivot to serious film. Because before this, he was in Crazy Stupid Love. Or was that like the uh, same year? Th- these were the same, same year, year, actually. It's a huge so year for Ryan Gosling. And that was the year. Big. And then 2012 is the year that they named Ryan Reynolds. 
or someone else or Bradley Cooper. They named Bradley Cooper sexiest man alive. And everyone was livid because they said it should have been Ryan Gosling. (laughs) 2012 was a huge year for Ryan Gosling because of 2011. And so then everyone rioted because he was not the sexiest man alive. He was the meme, the Hey Girl meme, which carried over. Do you remember the Hey Girl meme? I have a small coffee table book of Hey Girl pictures. Wow. <laughs> I was all in on the Ryan Gosling trend. Oh, my God. I, I didn't like Dry very much, but I was like, oh, this guy is hot, and he's interesting to look I'm at. I'm so glad we're talking about this, because this was the first time I've ever found Ryan Gosling hot. Like, this movie. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, because, I mean, there's nothing explicitly hot in his career between The Notebook and this, because before this is uh, the Kirsten Dunst serial killer, whatever movie, like All Good Things or whatever. Like, oh my God, the Robert Durst film. <laughs> the Robert Durst film, exactly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew it was like some guy, but I forgot which guy oh, it's uh, it was. <laughs> uh, yikes. The uh, film no, that so, like, prompted yeah, the jinx. This is when he gets big. <laughs> Terrifying. Bad, bad. True crime, bad. True crime, True crime bad. bad. Uh, so, that, so that's Rygos. That's, that's where he is. This is his big... It, this wasn't a box office hit, but this is a, a huge moment for him as a figure. This is genuinely... When I they mean, say this is a cultural reset, it's kind of a cultural reset. <laughs> and it's so sad looking at the beginning of his 2010s versus the end of his 2010s, where some could say that he's sort of like, uh, you know, he's a, a willful recluse, but I don't... He, he had four pretty high-profile flops in a row. Which ones? Uh, he ended the 2010s with good films. Uh, the Nice Guys, right. uh, Blade, Blade Runner right. 2049, uh, which won Best Cinematography uh, and was nominated for a few other Oscars, but was just a complete failure otherwise. Uh, and maybe a few other things. La La Land? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was La La Land. I put that on immediately after. A notebook. God. Uh, so Ryan Gosling's, had, you know, I I hope that he has a better 2020s, but really, I, it looks like no one's having a good 2020. So <laughs> we'll, we'll take a rain check on that career revamp. Uh, Christina Hendricks, Mad Ma- uh, Mad Men, still very much a thing. Best show on TV. Uh, basically, not in any films whatsoever. She is like the mysterious, buxom beauty su- side character in Mad Men. Uh, Fan favorite, and then I think this is sort of one of her first major appearances. It's like, oh, she's moving to, to, to movies now. All right. Didn't really turn into anything, but that's her. Oscar Isaac, small actor. Carrie Mulligan, basically kind of just coasting after an education. An education doesn't really blow up as big for her career, it felt like. She was so huge after an education, like the year of an education. Like that was such a, ugh, her Oscars dress that year. If you know, you know. Um, She was huge. She actually was in Never Let Me Go, I think, in 2010. She did a lot of, like, she stayed pretty, she chilled in England. Like, she did a lot of British films. Um, Yeah, she definitely remained active. And, like, Never Let Me Go is, like, a sleeper best of the 2010s pick for a lot of people. Uh, The book is better. I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment. (laughs) She's so good in it. I mean, I think she's really good. She's great. Um... Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice to put her in this role. She's a really interesting pick for this role because this this role is like, but I think she's good. I think that they're both good choices for the roles because so much of this movie, this movie hinges on the fact that they're just like in love. And I think Carrie Mulligan is a very good 
they're both really, really good face actors. Like the thing about Ryan Gosling and the reason that I went and re and watched the notebook for the first time today was because I was like, okay, you cast Gosling as a romantic lead because of one movie and one movie alone as of 2011, at least no, he like you haven't seen crazy stupid love yet. He's great. That. But like you, you cast him on one movie and you know that he can carry a romantic lead because of that movie. And so I was curious about that because it's like, the, the huge thing here is that they, he hardly speaks like the, the, I remember talking to people after this movie and they were like, Oh, Ryan Gosling, he's so good in drive. He, he doesn't even talk and he's so good because like their a whole love story is basically silent. It's just a silent presence and them staring at each other. And that is like, and we're expected to be like, Oh yeah, he would totally participate in this whole situation just for her. And it's like, I, I I just have so much I want to unpack about Ryan Gosling in this movie. <laughs> well, I think so much of what you need to unpack is the even more silent relationship uh, that is maybe the loudest relationship at the same time uh, between uh, Ryan Gosling and Nick Reffin, uh, who Ooh. is just I fucking Ryan so hard so throughout hard. this whole movie. So, I mean... How Reffin puts it is that he says that him and Gosling are basically telekinetically linked, which is not the right use of telekinetic, but whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, I think Gosling reached out to Nick Reffin because Reffin had made, uh, with Tom Hardy, Bronson. Which Whoa. is yeah, a pretty major film still... Does it feel major enough to warrant, like, the, oh, yeah, go ahead, man, make this and put it into 2,500 theaters of drive? But Bronson is a, a thing, you know? We don't have Tom Hardy without that. Uh, and so I think as the going goes, Gosling watches that, wants to make a movie with that guy. This is that movie. And so they just get so on the same page. They have... This, the film is based on a book, uh, <laughs> but... What? They, yeah. Well, here's the thing. The book actually has a ton of dialogue and a ton of backstory. But when they were on set, they found... I mean, I mean, Refn was just so infatuated with Gosling's presence and stature that they just kept taking lines away and away and away because really all they needed was looks, which I like in theory. I love taking away anything that doesn't need to be said. But then sometimes you have one of the worst scenes of the 2010s, <laughs> which is that entire moment in Carrie Mulligan's dining room where they're just looking at each other and looking and looking. And all we get is that like horrible Carrie Mulligan music that Cliff Martinez does in the background. Like, <laughs> like it's just the cringiest, dumbest shit in the world. Like 13 year old shit. And that is, like, the big, like, crutch for the rest of the movie. Like, that entire sequence where they're in, like, golden hour driving through, like, the river for some reason. Uh, that is supposed to be the reason we root for all the violence in the second half. Which, buddy, if you're going to tout grindhouse and exploitation films as your, as your big go-tos, maybe let us see a little hammer action. Oh, maybe I want the hammer action. Let the hammer go through his skull. You can't just tee that up and then not give it to the audience. Come on. No, not at all. And so I guess 
what I would love to bring up is, did I mean, Refin wants to fuck Ryan Gosling, right? I feel like there's no other explanation. That's like the entire reason this movie functions because Re- Nicholas Winding Refin is a pretty shitty guy. <laughs> uh, I do not like him at all, I think. I think I used to admire him just because, you know, these are images that are, some, you know, iconic and, you movie know, pretty. it's not like movie pretty. But this dude is the type of guy who will go to the Guardian and gloat about this story where he was walking out of like a pharmacy and he sees over across the street this man bleeding, uh, basically dying. And he runs over and he gives the man his blanket to, to stop the pressure, he calls the police. When the police come, the man has died. Nicholas Winding Refn is basically covered in blood. And then he basically says that he felt nothing. Uh, he felt nothing in the moment. He felt nothing a day later. Uh, but he was mostly excited because this moment gave him uh, an, ex- uh, an exciting scene. <laughs> that is the kind of man Nicholas Winding Refn hmm. is. He is hmm. the type of guy that will wear Prada, but then say that he is against taste. You know, like, he is... A man of ultimate contradictions. He is uh, the ultimate sort of just high elite scumbag fucko where it is so obvious that he cares about aesthetic. It is so obvious that he cares about how something looks and feels. And yet, at the same time, uh, Refin has this website that he launched a couple years ago, which is basically his own streaming service. It's a free streaming service where he is unearthing these grind, like exploitation films from like the 60s and 70s, super obscure, like things that have literally been lost forever. And he's kind of been the gatekeeper of that. Even one of the most, uh, the biggest uh, needle drops in Drive, which is the sort of operatic piece when he, uh, Gosling is in the Vin Diesel mask, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, that piece of music is from Farewell, Uncle Tom, which is this mondo Italian, uh, really disgusting, but kind of brilliant movie uh, from like the, like 76, which is all about uh, an Italian documentary crew that goes to the antebellum South and they decide to document it. And it is a mockumentary that takes place in the South. And instead of it being sort of like, you know, zombie movies from Italy at the time would kind of pride themselves on the gore effects and just going full on. Uh, it kind of culminated from zombies to the cannibal uh, subgenre in the 80s, uh, Cannibal Holocaust from 1980, maybe the most notorious film ever made. Basically imagine the violence of Cannibal Holocaust, uh, but attributed to slaves, uh, filmed uh, on an island where basically the prime minister gave the filmmakers complete control to do whatever they wanted so the film actually basically uses slave labor and it is a nightmare movie (laughs) that is maybe the most unethical thing i've ever seen and yet i own it because it is like this incredible piece of like filth where it's like, okay, this is like the nadir of films. This is what happens when you don't care about anyone. You, don't, you truly don't care about taste. You truly only care about yourself. You truly do not care about the well-being of others. This is so depraved 
that there is now some historical worth in it, it is the Holocaust of, of movies. Like that is basically it. Like it is this is Love that paywall. This needs, <laughs> <laughs> this needs to be looked at and learned from because we cannot ever, ever show this to people. But maybe at like three AM, come into this room, I'll open up a curtain, you can watch twenty minutes. <laughs> That is the type of movie, in addition to also calling movies like their own holocaust, that is what Refn wants. Like, Refn wants, like, Only God Forgives. He wants that movie to be, like, that is the Vietnam War of movies, you know? Like, it is the grossest, dumbest shit in the world, the most fake pseudo-intellectual bullshit. That is the guy that made the movie that we saw. And basically, that is the guy that I think most influenced the 2010s. Like, I think Drive is maybe the most influential film of the 2010s. That's a huge statement. That's huge. Then again, I may be skewed by the whole fact that I did go to film school. And so everyone who's ever gone, let me restate that. At least every person I've ever known who has gone to film school has made a drive. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The second you said, like, this movie is all aesthetics and it ha- it wants you to feel something, it made me think of every fucking thesis film I watched. Every, every just cinematographer. And I mean, that's the interesting thing is that, like, I started Chapman University a year after this movie came out. Like, everyone was freaking out over drive. They were like, I'm going to make my drive <laughs> at Chapman university. And that's what it felt like. And it's interesting when you say like the budget was so low. Cause I was like, it felt like the budget was low. It doesn't look like the budget's low, but it feels like it. It feels like this is a, is a, is a festival film. Like it, it fe- but like, you know, it has all these actors in it. So certainly it can't be, but like it is, it feels empty. It feels like, this guy thinks that he has control over the camera that makes you feel something just by a glance, you know, but he doesn't, he doesn't have that kind of, and that's the interesting thing about a lot of bro movies I've realized. And like, this is such a bro movie because let me get back to the thesis statement of this podcast. (laughs) It feels like men don't want, They just want to feel without having to, like, explain why. They just, like, a lot of these movies, a lot of just movies made by men who are extremely, like, capital M men, just dudes, just dudes making movies. They are so hollow because men don't want to, they they cannot come up with a way to actually imagine, like, a romance. They don't know, like anything that he would write and put in there would sound cheesy because he doesn't know what he's actually doing, which is the interesting thing about watching Goodfellas last week is that like we were, we commented on how quote unquote romantic that scene between, uh, with, with Ray Liotta and, and Karen, I'm sorry, I said a slur on the podcast, uh, is even though it's it's more revealing where it's like, oh, he's just paying all these people. But like it feels so sweeping and romantic. And you're like, oh, I get why she's in, you know, because like it kind of turned her on. The thing about this movie is that like at the end when Carrie Mulligan knocks on his door and he's gone 
it almost infuriated me because it's like she was she was clearly scared of Oscar Isaac. We can get into the racial coding later because he was a criminal and he was a violent criminal. She's and Mexican. And, well, <laughs> scary. Um, <laughs> sorry. Right. Sorry. Right word. Right. Word. Um, and so. And she's like, okay, he and and like they're hiding the fact that she he's bringing, you know, dangerous people near her children, child. And then, you know, she she's like, I wish the cops would come because she wants him gone. And then she watches Ryan Gosling brutally murder a man by kicking in his skull. And she goes to check if he's still there. There's no, there's no way she would have moved. I swear, like, it just drove me crazy to think that, that, like, the guy's like, oh, yeah, she's in, she's in love with this guy. When it's like, what does he have to offer? He proved himself to be just as dangerous as the man that she was afraid of. And then. But they smooch in the elevator right before. That that godlight made me actually nauseous. Like, the fact, like, how there's the godlight over his head, like, onto her face in that, in the elevator scene. I was genuinely nauseated. I was like, this cannot be happening. It cannot be happening. She would have moved out of that apartment. She would have changed her fucking name. She would have changed her child's fucking name. And she would have been like, I never want to see this person again. There's, it's just, it's just, it's so like to quote Shiv from Succession, this reeks of pale, stale male that you, you would ever expect that she would stay in it. Because that's, again, like, that's the beauty of Goodfellas. You get why Karen's in. In this movie, you're like, get the fuck out, girl. Stay away from her, dude. Yeah, Goodfellas definitely has, and I think, so much to going at once. Goodfellas I got really excited. (laughs) I'm so glad. Uh, Goodfellas has that perfect combination, I think, of truly lived-in experience uh, mixed with pastiche. Where, you know, Marty is absolutely going for the films that he was influenced by uh, growing up. Uh, and even in his current moment, like, he wants to replicate f- film. Like, as he wants to replicate cinema. <laughs> Refn wants to replicate cinema as well. But that's really the extent of his hem- ambitions. That, and I think that's something that carries through in a lot of bro cinema, this sort of adoration of pastiche and wanting to make it explicitly clear that, yes, I did see this movie. Look, see? Do you see this reference I just made? I saw that movie, and guess what? I love that movie more than you. I love it way more than you, because, look, I put it in my movie. That is kind of a giant school of the Refn filmmakers, I think, uh, and a lot of movies that I think some that have kind of become part of the canon, but most that are just trying for like shooting for this hoop, they are basically going really hard at that. And it's annoying. It's excruciating. <laughs> Painful. It is. Yeah. At, at its worst. And I don't think drive is really near the worst because this shit can get really bad. <laughs> but let's say it's as bad as, uh, oh, Stranger Things. If it's Stranger Things, then it's like, oh, yeah, this is the most vile, dumb, <laughs> waste of time bullshit in the world. Uh, I am so glad that I can just watch the thing right now. I'm so glad that I can just turn this off and watch Monster Squad. Like, if you make your references so clear, I'm out. 
Like, yeah, thank you for giving me a watch list of things to do instead. <laughs> and I think the big thing that Drive has going for it was that for about eight, seven years, wait, when did, yeah, wait, seven years, fuck, no, Baby Driver is 2017 or 2016? 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. So for six years, no one knew what the driver was. But then Edgar Wright then told everyone what the driver was, and now drive, uh, Refn's drive's market value has gone down significantly. <laughs> <laughs> but in those years before Baby Driver, oh man, he was flying high because no one could really get the reference. <laughs> he but distorted now, it just enough. He picked a film obs- just obscure enough. But then you get Edgar Wright, who's like, who's who? I feel like he like walks the tightrope so so precariously between being those two kinds of filmmakers between being the Scorsese who's like flashy even Tarantino almost who's like I love film and then being like Refn who's just kind of like did you catch that and it's uh I don't it's it's kind of interesting it's kind of we're not talking about Edgar Wright I could talk about Edgar Wright for so long but I think it's an interesting but I, I think he's a I think he's a worthwhile tangent because you're right because Edgar I think for the first half of his career was, I think the interesting thing about Edgar Wright is that on that tightrope that you just brought up, there are times where he is fully off it and then times where he's fully on it. Yes. And then I think the first half is when he's like, oh yeah, he's finding that balance. And then I think the world's end comes in and it kind of fucks everything up. Yeah, I I agree. I like the world's end a lot, but I agree. Uh, I wish that I there was one Edgar Wright film that I had not seen so that we could talk about him because I feel like that is... Oh, he's shaking. He says no thank you. <laughs> no, I think it'd be uh, such a good episode. I think it'd be think, a really good episode. Yeah. Um, maybe we could, just as a fun aside, talk about Scott Pilgrim or something. Cause hey, this podcast isn't for fun. Aya. Shut the fuck up. I know. Up. I'm, I keep thinking of like... Some people are going to make like... Truly, like they're going to take this time and they're going to take the trauma of a worldwide pandemic and make what may be their masterpiece. And I am going to make this podcast. <laughs> Everyone has different ways of coping. <laughs> don't, don't talk about it. Don't talk. As soon as you talk about the machinations of what we're doing here, I'm, it's bad. I'm out. Let's move on. Move on. Oh man. Anyways. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm just, uh, this man could eat my ass. I don't like him. <laughs> Now, specify, which man are we talking here? Is this Refn that you're referring to? Yes. Uh, yeah, he can eat my ass and lick my scrote. I do not <laughs> like this dude whatsoever. Uh, well, here's another story about Refn yes. uh, that I think will basically entirely explain why Carrie Mulligan is in this movie. Mommy. So, Oscar Isaac, uh, standard Gabrielle. Dear God. <laughs> uh, nightmare name for a character. Uh <laughs> Originally, his wife uh, was supposed to be Latina, and they were looking at all, uh, this is from the horse's mouth, uh, looking at all the best Latina actresses out there, uh, and then, for some all reason, someone was that like... I'm sure he met. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say probably three. Four is, <laughs> four is really generous. <laughs> oh, I forgot, Jane the Virgin was not on the, the air yet. <laughs> no, so it's definitely three. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh and then someone had brought in Carrie Mulligan, and Refn was like, huh, that's not what we're looking for, but why not? I am bored of these three Latinas that we've basically <laughs> seen, and I don't like them. Uh, and so he looks at Carrie Mulligan, and the moment he looks at her, he immediately wants to cast her. Of course he does. Because he says... No. 
well, this isn't an exact quote, but basically he wanted to protect her. Nope. So the moment he looks at her, he's like, ah, I want to protect that woman, which he hadn't thought about when he was looking at the Latino women. Because so. white women are inherently more <laughs> scaled, oh, more I'm innocent. Scared. Mr. Prada man protect I think a huge failing of this movie is the casting of Carrie Mulligan. I love Carrie Mulligan, and I think that she's good in this because, as I mentioned, great face actor. But I think that he fucks up the racial politics so badly in casting a white woman in this role and a white man in Ryan Gosling's role that the entire movie becomes so muddy in terms of, like, you know, as I said, the racial politics, it's, it, it just becomes something so different. It, it becomes exactly like you said, he wanted to protect her. And it's like, okay, so you wouldn't want to protect a Latina woman. <laughs> it's actually unreal how fucked the racial politics are in drive. Because the, the thing is that it is so interesting that this, has kind of revealed itself in recent years because when Drive came out, it was like, what the fuck do you talk about with this movie? Like, there's not much happening in here uh, until you really start listening to the dialogue. And I think that was one of the things where critics were very much saying, like, oh, yeah, like, there's only, like, three pages of dialogue in this. Like, it's basically a silent film, which is people, you know, critics just love to use, oh, it's basically a silent film when there's some physicality in a movie. <laughs> uh, and so... Basically, I think it had numbed a lot of people to what is actually being said. And basically, like, having Oscar Isaac's character named Standard Gabrielle and then literally positioning Ryan Gosling as Deluxe is just, like, the most insane shit in the world. (laughs) It is unreal. It just feels like... You know, you think about these movies and it's it's interesting that Carrie Mulligan is like this like scrawny little white woman and it feels very classic TM, you know, like it feels very 50s, like she's the sheltered, nice little white lady um, and it's who who has like no personality whatsoever, none. And I think that that's almost what he's he's going for even more is that not only is she, you know, quote unquote protectable, she's also just a blank slate here. Like they give her no lines. They give her no, no qualities whatsoever. The only quality of hers that you actually hear, like the only interesting thing you hear about her character is that when Oscar Isaac approached her, when he first met her, when she was 17 and he said, I'm standard, she said, where's the deluxe version? Like that's the most in, like the, the most interesting thing about her in this movie is that line that she doesn't even deliver. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's just kind of like, it's clear that he was like any, I feel like he did put a Latina woman in that role. She would have too much character. Like there would be too much there for him to be like, I can't keep her silent in this movie. I can't make her this like silent brooding woman, which they always he, they always do. That is th- that is the through line of bro cinema. Is that one woman who everyone wants to protect because she is quiet and and just you can just project anything onto her. And I think that I don't want to talk about Baby Driver anymore, but I do because Lily James was an interesting choice because I feel like she's just like one step above that, but it's still just like 
it's still lacking. Like she's not an interesting character. Like he doesn't give her, he doesn't give her really anything to do in either of these movies. She's not really given much to do. And I think that putting a Latino woman in that character would make that even more obvious. Yeah. It seems to be that the general strategy for these types of characters is to give them in this, in, in drives case, that one line about the deluxe joke and meeting him when she was 17. Like that is maybe like one quirk. And then in Baby Driver's case being, oh, a couple other features so that these women don't seem like product off the shelf, you know, like hiding the price tag. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's pretty dire. And I think Drive only ages worse and worse in that regard, especially considering the fact that it is asinine to me that this movie positions itself as a love story, as sort of like in in Refn's own words, sort of like a Grimm's fairy tale, where it is... What? Yeah, it, it, get, it gets worse with this Guys, dude. Oh, shit. Uh, it is kind of just revolting. The Like, in the moment, it's hollow. But then I feel as our culture has sort of progressed in how we approach media, this sort of hollowness has translated into, like, a, a, like an act of active hostility. And I think that's kind of what I read it as now, a thousand percent. This fact that just staring at into each other's eyes, this is the justification for brutal violence. Like, this is all for you. <laughs> like, I am mashing this guy's face in, in an elevator. It's for you. Touch you. I'm sorry. Uh, and it's just kind of just terrifying shit that we have seen basically manifest itself into... Uh, MRAs and basically all types of different uh, there we go there we go the magic word paywall baby paywall baby I'm scared of them (laughs) (laughs) but that's the thing is that like this is kind of a giant incel movie this is a big this is okay I feel like in it's interesting to discuss like Fight Club. Like, it, it, when we get down to the brass tacks of what this podcast is, of talking about movies, where you said it best, when a dude says it's their favorite movie, you get a little bit scared. When you, when a dude says Fight Club is his favorite movie, I'm always kind of worried. But when you read into Fight Club deeper, as we did, like, if I said Fight Club was my favorite movie, I would have reasons to back it up. I'd be like, well, here's why, you know? It's a commentary on this. It's, it, it, it's you know, a gay man talking about what it's like to be a man in this world. Like, it's it's it has layers. I think if a man says Goodfellas is his favorite movie, there's layers to back up why. There's reason there. This movie, the exact opposite happens. The deeper you get into this movie, the more red flags it raises. The more you're like, like... <laughs> I just think about all the times, all the red flags I talk about with my friends where it's like, well, his favorite movie was Drive. And it's like, oh, my God, you didn't tell me that to begin with. We would have known the from the beginning. The <laughs> and it's, a, it's just kind of it, it just proves how shallow it really is and how fraught it is with issues. And like you said, you, while we were watching it, Kevin mentioned like every woman is just what you say. Every woman is just like set painting. A set piece? Oh, oh, I guess I I think I was something along the lines of like every woman is essentially an angelic figure. Yeah. Um, you said something interesting about how like 
because it was the scene where they're in the strip club, which of course, fucking of course, another reason why this is a goddamn Dodge movie is that there's a scene in a strip club because you can't have a fucking festival movie that doesn't doesn't take place with some titties in it. Like I swear to God, every single fucking yeah. movie has to have tits out somewhere. There has to be a strip club scene Wait. that doesn't actually have to, anything to do with the strip club. And it's like you said, so you said like every woman in this movie is just like set dressing. Yeah, so and I said every I, titty I, I, means I on set. <laughs> Yo, perfect. Because the joke I was making, I was saying, every frame of painting, every woman a prop. Yes, exactly. <laughs> every titty, mise-en-scene. And it's just like... Incredible layup. It's embarrassing. Dunk. It's embarrassing. Like, and I think that, I mean, again, 2011 was a different time. Like, you know, which is super weird because it was just nine years ago. But it feels like this opened a gateway of being like, you can do like put any of these scenes anywhere. It, it's insane. I ha- I hate it. It really makes me like that's one that really fucking really grinds my gears. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we want to get even further into our gears getting ground, uh, <laughs> we are both living in Los Angeles. LA, uh, baby. We are both. Angelinos, which I've never heard a single person from actual Los Angeles say that. That's no. transplant shit. Uh, just the grossest. Get out. Stop it. Uh, is this a love letter to L.A.? No. Like, is this like a, uh, an L.A. movie, Aya Lehman? No. Uh, hard agree. <laughs> hard, hard agree. I think that, as you mentioned, it's like transplant shit. I could see a transplant being like, oh, my God. This is why I love Los Angeles. And like, I did feel that in certain moments, like, you know, there's a scene at, it wasn't Echo Park, was it? Uh, they live in Echo Park. But like the scene was, was that at the park? Uh, the exterior? Yeah. The park scene? Oh, when they're talking like meeting Christina Hendricks and the, and the new, I, I'm pretty sure. I think so. Cause I was like, I mean, that's the thing we're, we're from here. We like, we've never walked around Echo Park because like, that's not what people from Los Angeles do. I've walked around Echo Park. It's lovely. Highly recommend. You never taken one of the pedal boats in Echo Park. Come on. No, I grew up when Echo Park was like where you get killed. (laughs) Like Echo Park was like bad. (laughs) It, It was bad news. Um, no, it's a lovely place. I love Echo Park. Um, sorry to be a white woman for five seconds. I love Echo Park. Um, it's half of you. <laughs> but it, that was gorgeous. I mean, I like the scene where they're driving through the river, but also you're just like, this is so dangerous. Like something's going to pop your tires. I swear to God, there's going to be glass. Please be careful. Um, I think half of it is not even half. I think part of it, you're kind of like, oh, I see it. But overall, it's like, it's not like LA is a character in this movie. <laughs> a la like sex in the city. <laughs> the fifth girl is oh, New York course. city. The, per- the perfect example. I, yeah, I, I think it has to do with the budget of the film because I think the film is way too interpersonal to ever establish. Like, I don't think this, this movie needs to take place in LA, which I think immediately nullifies it from being an LA movie. Like, yeah, that's great, man. You Downtown skyline looks great. <laughs> yup. I also play GTA 5. Let's go. <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's, it's just driving around anywhere. Like, this could take place in fucking Fargo, North Dakota. This can take place in Chicago. This can take place in any little village or any big city. Like, this is not a quintessentially Los Angeles tale. And so it, it kind of grinds my gears whenever this is in, like, the top three of, like, best L.A. movies ever made. Where it's like, brother, there is nothing here about the actual city. 
No. There's there's shit here. Why is it because there's a Latino in it? <laughs> there's a Latino, and I think some people have basically taken the opening credit fonts uh, for calling this a neon drenched movie. Which I'm like, brother. No, dude. There it what? is. No neon in sight in Not this motherfucker. Not in the movie. Oh god, exhausting. It's yeah, I mean, exhausting. Exhausting is kind of the big word. I cannot deny that there are some carnal pleasures to be had in drive, aka those first 13 minutes. I and fun. you know, I I like that whole scene in the motel room where uh, Christina Hendricks gets fucking bopped in the head. Great scene. Uh great scene, mostly because that's when it feels like okay, Refin is a self-proclaimed uh he makes self-proclaimed fetish movies. And that moment where he's taking the shower rack and stabbing a dude in the neck, like, okay, you are actually textually using, like, giallo and, like, 70s horror. You are picking from that for this one small moment. Dope. That's actually really cool. I love it. I love how feral uh, Ryan Gosling looks. Like, this is a dope set piece. And then it kind of just curtails more into Brian Cranston getting his like wristlet and honestly like I don't even know what Ryan Gosling is even doing for most of the <laughs> last like quarter of this movie. Just moving from place to place essentially. He's just going places. He's going places. And you know what? I I think the reason why Giallo uh popped up for me in that bathroom scene was because I think I know what I would want from Drive given how much Refin talks about himself. I really want or wanted rather for that entire last quarter to turn into a slasher movie where it's just Ryan Gosling going like, okay, this is a full meditation on violence. This is a full, like, this is what happens when you break down because you're driven by infatuation. Like, you are not in love with this woman. You are purely looking for, like, an antithesis to your violent impulses to basically further motivate your violent impulses, to give you a reason to lash out. Mm -hmm. And if he was just killing every member of the Jewish mafia in more absurd, disgusting, gross ways, and then the ending happens and Carrie Mulligan is like, uh, no thanks, then I think you have a movie. I think you have something. I think that could be really but something. This, I think what you have with Drive, and I'm so surprised that it's not that thing, given Refn's like, love for all of that thing, it really feels like uh, a self-fulfillment uh, fantasy. Uh, Fully. It's just... R- really kind of pathetic. Uh, the more that you, if you spend even two minutes looking into the artist behind this piece, everything starts to crumble. And it becomes a lot more sad. And not in a way that feels meaningful, but just in a way that makes you kind of regret ever buying into the movie's trick in the first place. If this movie was honest about what it is, it would have ended with him stabbed going back to his apartment to find her and she's gone. If this movie was truly honest about what it is about being a dude who's, as you mentioned, driven by infatuation, driven by his obsession with violence and, you know, but it's not, it's a, it's like a fucking Disney channel movie. Like it's about a nice guy who's like really genuine because I mean, that's the whole intention of that part where they're like, Oh, I underpay him, but he, he loves the work so much because he's supposed to be this like 
again, a nice guy who's just, who just happened to wind up in a life of crime, which is just, again, and then then the racial politics get involved as well. Again, there where it's like, oh, but, but Oscar Isaac is a bad guy because he, this is his whole life. And Ryan Gosling just wound up in there and he can't get himself out. He has to do this one last job. And it's, it's so muddy because it's like, well, what are you saying then? So he's better than Oscar Isaac because it is not part of like his, like his, his upbringing because he just wound up in this life of crime. He does it anyways. It's just another white dude who thinks he's the hero, but he, because he, he left at the end. He knew what he had to do for her. He had to leave his life and go. He he had to, to protect her. And it's like, that's not real. Like none of this. I mean, obviously it's not realistic, but it's just, it's just, it's gross. It's another fucking white dude who is style silent and stoic and just, there's nothing to him, but he is, you're intended to swoon over him. And like you said, he's a knight. He's the white knight. He's a scorpion. You're expected to swoon over him because he makes the right choices. And it's just, it's so embarrassing. I, it, I can't help but feel this film is embarrassing. Like, the use of that fucking song that plays twice that you literally uses the words real human being and a real hero. Stop me, please dude. Say something. It's so, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, like it's so right when it happened. So. College shit. Wait, wait, I, of I like, pause, pause. If you saw that in a visual storytelling class, you would, the teacher would be like, the prof would be like, you have to take that song out. You cannot use that song. It's too obvious. It's too on the nose. Like, we get it. Um, Yeah, for me, Drive is a difficult movie to fully hate on its own. It's definitely very easy to hate knowing everything about Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, Actually, kind of, like, enjoyable to hate for those reasons. A little bit. (laughs) It's just so embarrassing when you realize that the director behind it and the film itself is meant to be meant to be a, a piece of the counterculture. And yet it is so thoughtless that there are so many mainstream films, either from decades prior or even being released. Like this is released the same year, just months after Fast Five. And I think Fast Five <laughs> Fast Five operates on a level that is that so far super I can't even say it surpasses Drive that I can't even wrap my head around it. That's insane. I think I am so happy that by the end of the 2010s we all collectively worshipped Fast and Furious. Thank God. Like, we didn't, you know, we all went in and we're like, oh no, 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 no. If you trash these movies you're the loser. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when people who still love drive, they are the losers. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be great. I think we're only like seven years away at, you know, at most. I think this movie's gone away. Like, I really feel like a film that was for a film that was so influential in like 2011. It's something that I, so rarely think about slash ever see people talk about anymore. Like there's no drive discourse because again, unless you like lift that veil and you're like, let's talk about the racial politics. There's no conversation to be had about this movie. 
because it's yeah, you, it, you you share screenshots, you scare you know you share like you know you know like this is cool. Look at the back of his jacket. <laughs> you know, look at this purple light. But that's it. That's it. Like it's just it, it's pretty. It's it's pretty, but there's a lot of pretty things out there. Aya, <laughs> uh, we're finally here. Speaking of pretty. Who's the hottest of the movie? Hottest of the flick today, folks. Um, this is a real toughie for me personally because... Um, uh, oh, good. All right. <laughs> Kevin, why don't you leave the room? I'll just wrap this up, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll just put the mic. Kevin's going to leave the Zoom and uh, <laughs> I'll just see myself out. <laughs> Hottest of the film today for me was hard because Oscar Isaac to me is one of the hottest men that exists on this earth. He is perfection. I, I can't even wrap my head around him. He's so hot. It's unreal. He, that is, uh, I can't, but my, my, my entry point for drive is that I have never found Ryan Gosling attractive ever uh, in anything I've ever seen him in. And that's part of why a, I watched a horrible take, <laughs> horrible, ghastly take. Part of why I watched the notebook today was to kind of understand his growth as a, a film heartthrob, a Hollywood heartthrob. <laughs> and, um, I'll tell you folks, this did it for me. Wow. I could shit talk this movie all I want, but at the, at the end of the day, you know, Nicholas Winding Refn came into this and he said one thing. I want to fuck Ryan Gosling. And you know what? He communicated agreed. that gloriously, Glor- gorgeously. <laughs> he, that, he made his, if his thesis statement for this film was just Ryan Gosling is the hottest man alive. He, he succeeded. His conclusion this is a perfect film. His conclusion just was, and that's that on that. And he was right. He, he looks so hot in this movie. It's kind of unreal. It's, it's truly a masterpiece of, aesthetics in terms of hotness and oscar isaac is really hot in this but i do uh knock him some points for the jeans uh they were bad but i do give him more points for his sweater it was a good sweater that's right that is a very it's uh it fits him well it fits him really he the man wears a sweater comparable to robert de niro oh my god (laughs) i have to say though on my on in my camp Mm-hmm. I can't believe you go through the trouble of casting Christina Hendricks and you dress her like this. Like that! I can't believe they dress her in, like, the babysitter, like, lavender purple hoodie. So like, upsetting. what the fuck is this? A waste. Like, A are waste. You, are you going full homage with the genre? Or, or, or what? What are you doing here, buddy? What, what's, what's the big deal? What's your plan? If you're going to have Christina Hendricks, who is, by and large, one of the most gorgeous women in the entire world, Facts. Why would you do that? Why would you do her like that? Is he? Is he gay? Uh, married married. Uh, to a woman. Uh, loves his wife very much. He often cites her as his main collaborator. Is Refin a wife guy? <laughs> Refin, kind of a wife guy. There is actually, I forgot the name of the documentary, but when he was shooting Only God Forgives, there's basically a making of documentary of that film directed and filmed by his wife. Oh, that's nice. And so... It's basically a, a portrait of her husband, <gasps> the nightmare that is. <laughs> but she loves him. She loves his movie. That's she nice. puts up with that Danish. He fuck. does not seem like a wife uh, guy at all. But I mean, I guess, I guess, kind of like from this film, maybe he is. I mean, if you see it as this, like this was her favorite movie up until Neon Demon, because it kind of is for her. 
It's kind of it's oh. a wife guy's it's movie a wife guy to movie. his wife. Uh, which I guess adds a new layer of like he doesn't really have to show the I I'm not going to redeem this movie. We're nope. we're too far gone. Nope. I'm I'm done. It's bad. It's bad. I it's didn't bad. care for I it. I miss Ryan Gosling. Uh, I want him back in more movies. I wish that we didn't have to bottleneck him into the steely dead inside type because I rewatched The Nice Guys in preparation for this recording. And that dude does comedy so well. It's very interesting, and the films that we watched in order to prepare for this film. <laughs> well, because wa- you were looking at the past of Gosling. I was looking to the future, future. of Gosling. I also watched La La and- Land. Oh, well, that's... Does that even count as a movie? <laughs> <laughs> He's, that's just empty calories. I really like him in that movie, I think. Yeah, I think that's he has a little bit of life in there. But I'm he's still surprised. stoic. He's still a little and he I think he like I think if you're going for Gosling performance of 2011, he weaponizes the the steely stoic guy in Crazy Stupid Love so totally. much better than in this movie. He 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 takes like he knows what he looks like in that movie and he just like squeezes it and it's so good. Yeah, like on that note, I, I was going to say uh, earlier that I'm surprised that more directors haven't done that with him. Yeah. Like he has he has played the same exact steely cold character, and yet none of them have really commented on the steeliness of it all or the coldness of it all. I think the closest you get is First Man with Damien Chazelle mm-hmm. in 2018. But even then, I think Chazelle is too much of a cornball to have done it on purpose. <laughs> Like, I'm very certain that it was an accident and it was just Gosling being really bored of playing that same performance over and over, that that's kind of when you get a commentary on what the stoic man, what the cost of that is to the people around him. Uh, And I think it's really fascinating. I'm kind of over it. I don't really need that performance anymore, even though Blade Runner 2049, very good, very challenging mainstream cinema. Gosling is maybe doing the stoic shit the best he's ever done it. That's it. Cap it off there. No more. <laughs> that is like that is a crown jewel. You never have to do this performance again, buddy. And I just hope that in the 2020s he has something to branch out with. But I don't know, given this, the current state of things for everyone, uh, but also specifically for him, given that, as we brought up before, it's just been flop after flop for him. Uh, I think it's I funny that you're calling those films flops. I would not qualify them as flops. financially they were disasters financially they were but like la 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 land i think is his one in the late 20 in in the late 2010s i'm pretty sure la la land is the one yeah i guess in terms of like reception though like he oh yeah he's in only stunners for him he he wants that money baby wants that money he and eva mendez gorgeous i hope i never see drive again i'd be okay if i never saw drive again I'd be like really chill with my life if I never saw it again. <laughs> I just watched two Gosling I think this movies. This might have been the last time I ever saw it. That I never want to see again. Wow. And that's that, folks. The notebook. That's that. Okay. That is a page turned and a book closed. Thank God. Close it. Winding Reffin's Drive. Get out of here. Closed. I don't support burning books, but you know what? <laughs> Stomp on this one. Maybe give it a little rip and tatter. Out. Get it out the fuck out my library. Uh, this was an episode of Aya versus the Big Boys. Uh, Merry-Go-Round Magazine, Patreon-exclusive podcast. We want to thank all of our uh, Patreon supporters out there. 
thank you. Thanks for subscribing. You guys, Uh, we really want to give you guys more content uh, because you are so gracious to us. Uh, We want to return that graciousness and do something, anything at all. Can you please say titular this time? I'm begging you. What? Say titular. <laughs> Tit- tit- why titular? Because titular is not a word. Titular. I'm saying title. Titular is not titular, a word. Carter. Ti- titular is absolutely a it's word. It's not a word. I don't believe well, it's a word. Get less echo, you fuck. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. So,